I'd like to have a conversation with you this morning. We've been reading through Flesh by Hugh Halter during this Advent season. One of the things that Hugh brings to light is, is this understanding that we are Jesus with skin on. That the picture of a Christian is we are a disciple. And as a disciple, it means we're in the game. It means that we do not have the opportunity to do our own thing. The life that we've been given has been given by Jesus Christ. The life that we are expected to live is by God's doing. He's the one that has it planned out. He's the one that has it mapped. And being a Jesus with skin on is not a choice. It's how God made you. And again, by the gift of the Holy Spirit, you are exactly where you're at. You have the gift of eternal life because God has been gracious to you. He has called you. Those same words that we just spoke at the baptism, He has called you out of darkness into God's marvelous light. It's not by your choice. It's not by your doing. Some of you know this firsthand experience. You say, well, I came to faith uh, when I was a kid. I mean, my parents have been bringing me to church ever since. I, I don't know any other way. Okay, that's fine. Others of you have come kicking and screaming. Others of you feel blindsided. No, I, I wasn't kicking and screaming. I didn't know he was after me, and all of a sudden, here I am. Your faith story may be different from the people sitting right next to you. But my guess is we have one similarity, and that is, is that God has had a conversation with you. That's what happens in His Word. You see, God's Word written out, the 66 books of the Bible, meant for us to read, to hear, to engage with. Quite frankly, to, to have a conversation. I don't mean necessarily this, the conversation where you have your best friend sitting next to you and you've got a, a drink of choice uh, between the two of you and you spend hours contemplating what, uh, life's uh, travails, its uh, challenges. You don't just spend the time sitting and chatting. No, you have a God that has said, I have something for you here. It's called my word. I'd like you to read it. I'd like it to convict you. I would like it to bring you life. I would like it to give you hope and a future. And in the hearing of my word, I would like you to revere me. I want an intimate relationship with you that comes through conversation. Is that why we don't read? Is that why we don't engage? Is this why we don't do life together, not only with believers, but unbelievers, because we're afraid of the conversations that will come out? Are, are we afraid of the words that we don't know how to clearly explain when, when my friend says, well, what about this in the Bible? And you go, mm, I don't know. Are you just afraid to say that? What is it about conversation with God's holy word that we find so difficult and challenging? I think it's because we try to speak 
in the conversation. We're the ones trying to do all the talking. And God says, wait a minute. Listen. Just listen. Don't react. Don't overreact. Just listen. Just listen. It's amazing to me how God's Word comes into our life and He says, I've got something for you. I just want you to listen. But we're running off, right? we got this to do, that to do. we got a, a million things on the list. we got a million places to be. Don't you know? For crying out loud, Pastor, there's only 12 days until Christmas. There's a lot to get done. When what begins to happen is that we walk by the places in our life that God has specifically set us up to be. And walking through those places, we miss the woman at the well. Somebody who looks different and acts different. Somebody from a different socioeconomic background. Somebody that's had five husbands, for crying out loud. Can she not get it right? And we blame and we look and we shame. Because rather than sit at a coffee table with a friend, what we do is we sit behind a bench because we feel so righteous. Well, I know where I'm going to be for eternity, and if these other people, these lawless people, these sinful people, these people that just don't honor God, shame on them. And we bang our gavel of judgment all day long because it's easier to point a finger it's easier to talk about someone's sin than to actually ask them to sit next to you and listen. Jesus meets this woman in the middle of the day. He meets her there because, well, that's how God is. He's always inconveniently meeting me where I'm at. I don't know about in your life, I wake up with a well-scheduled and well-ordered day. Devotions first, prayer next, shower, coffee, bathroom, car, work, first scheduled appointments, answering emails, maybe lunch, maybe not. I don't have time for interruptions, God. That's just the first half of the day. But there are times where someone just needs to be listened to. But it's costly, isn't it? It's costly to spend that much time. It's costly to spend that much energy. 
Jesus, the middle of the day, it's hot. This woman goes to the well because she doesn't want to be in a conversation. She doesn't want to be challenged. She doesn't want to be talked to. She knows that the whole town looks down their nose at her because of her past. She is ashamed. She wants nothing to do with talking to anyone. Do you know people like that? Maybe you're even one. If I can appear busy, then I don't have to engage. woman at the well is engaged by Jesus. He gets into her life. He asks her questions, and she is immediately aware of, wait a minute, this is different. You should not be talking to me. I am a Samaritan. You, a Jew, we don't get along. And Jesus scoffs at the idea because he says, I picture him inside saying, I made you. And it doesn't matter where we live, and it doesn't matter from where we come. I love you. (laughs) And what Jesus does is he engages her in this conversation, and she knows. I've met some unbelievers that have literally said, I've never even heard the name Jesus. I mean, I've, I've, I've met people like that, but by and large, people have heard the name, they just have no reason to be in a relationship or to have a conversation with him. And we can't force it. We have to let it come at its own pace and speed. And that's what Hugh, the the author of the book of Flesh that we've been reading, he says, absolutely, let there always be a running conversation instead of running from conversation. But friends, you've, you've got to be at the table. You can't be so busy earning the check. You can't be so busy running the kids around. You can't be busy with your name and life. You can't be busy so that you can't stop for the conversation. I mentioned this last week in the sermon about uh, the individual saying, oh, well, okay, so I'm going to have a uh, conversation, and I'm on the plane. We're, they're stuck with me for an hour. I'm going to give them all the Jesus they can handle. No. <laughs> all you're going to do is reinforce the person that says, I notice you're praying. Yes, I prayed before, too, that I wouldn't sit next to one of you. Hugh encourages, right? Talk when the invitation is given. And the invitation Jesus gives, right? And she, she bites on it. She says, hey, you know, I know that uh, you Jews worship uh, in the mountains. We, we worship here. We're kind of different. And, and, uh, and what Jesus goes is, no, we're not that different. We're not. In Luke chapter 15, parable of the lost son reminds us that we are all the same. The story goes like this. There are two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. In Greek, it's a little more graphic than that. It could be characterized like this. Dad, I really don't care whether you live or die, so let me have my money now. Yep. The dad 
He divides a property and sends him on his way. The son leaves and he squanders it all, right? In living his own way, his own path. And he's living it up. He loves it. But a famine hit. He ran out of money. And when he came to his senses, in verse 17, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. As hard as it was growing up at times with my dad, it was a stickler, a perfectionist. I never once feared that I wouldn't be his son. I never once for a minute believed that I could screw up so bad that I wouldn't be his son. And I know that story may not be true for some of you. Some of you had parents that made it very clear. You step out of line, I don't know you. But here, here, this son goes off, he squanders everything. He decides to come home, and in verse 20, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and filled, was filled with compassion. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. This is a dad that says, I don't care what you've done, son. You've damaged my name, my reputation. You've spent finances. You took all of these things that I worked so hard for. But he's waiting for his son. The picture is he's standing on the front porch. That he's got a place of elevation that he can look out over the horizon. And when he sees his son, he runs. We don't know what that's like anymore, I I swear. To anticipate, to be on the front porch. In the 1950s, architecture changed because of the advent of air conditioning. People no longer needed a front porch, and so homes started to be being built without front porches. And as neighborhoods grow in suburbia, people thought, well, we live closer to each other and we'll be more friendly. But the problem was is that people drove into their homes, opened the garage door, parked inside, shut the door, and now I'm in my oasis. Rather, rather than the anticipation showing, man, I can't wait for my neighbor to get home. I can't wait for the people to drive by, wave at them, make them know, I'm here, I'm ready, I'm available. Some of you have great neighborhoods. Some of you have great friends. I hope you're sharing that with people. I hope that you're modeling that for people. I hope that you're inclusive with that for people because I am convinced that that is the place to begin our conversation. Not with an agenda, but intentional. A place where we say, hey, I'm going to be available for you. And when life happens, because life happens, I'm going to be ready to to listen and to speak. And when the invitation is given, when they ask a question, when they say, okay, tell me about this Jesus thing. Then you just smile. You just smile and you say, what do you want to know? And you share it. The scripture says, I'll give you the words to say. You have nothing to fear. 
There are plenty of questions that are asked of me that I go, I don't know, that's a great question. I'll have to get back to you on that one. Aren't you a pastor? Yes, I am. That doesn't mean I got it all memorized. I had the great joy of going to a cocktail party Friday night. Got all gussied up, showered, ready for my wife to be all dressed up. Kids started puking. Dang children. Went to the cocktail party without my wife. She said, no, go ahead. I said, no, I, I, we should do this together. This, no, please. I didn't really say that. I said I was going to the cocktail party. <laughs> I need out. I'm gone. <laughs> got there about 7.30. I got home at a quarter of four. Wow. It was awesome. I haven't been out till a quarter of four intentionally in a long time. We stood, we sat, we ate, we drank, and we talked for hours. And there were points in the evening where there was time to just sit and listen, and there were times to share and, and speak and tell the stories. And it was exhausting. It was. I, I remember I, I got home, uh, Cinder rolled over, she's like, really? 4 a.m.? I was like, I'll tell you in the morning. My point is, is it's going to cost you. If you're going to do this Jesus thing, if you're going to buy into this, it's going to cost you vast amounts of time. It's going to cost you vast amounts of money. It is going to cost you resources. But it is worth it to have the conversation. Because when we point people to Jesus, He changes everything. Marriages are transformed. Intimate sex lives are transformed. Work-life balance is transformed. People's pocketbooks are transformed. Families are transformed. The conversation says, let me point you to Jesus. And in that matter, in, in that point, you get pointed to Jesus and what you see is a hope and a reality of a kingdom that is different from this world. A kingdom where all things are possible. A kingdom where God's hope and grace and peace and mercy actually exist. Where you see a kingdom that is not, not determined by people's pasts and mistakes. A kingdom whereby people are not known because of their sin, but because of how much grace they receive. That God's kingdom... It's not just in eternity, but is here now. I'm going to read to you from First, first Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, 
keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good rather than do evil. Friends in Christ, I know it's not necessarily the most winsome speech you've ever heard or a talk or a conversation that says, hey, everything is going to be better by committing wholly and completely to God. But I mentioned this phrase last week. A church, this church, is the place to come and die. We just saw it with Barrett. He was drowned in the holy waters of baptism. You all have been baptized. We come to die. Die to ourselves. Die to that which keeps us from God and to say, God, I want to live in you. Yes, that our hearts are set apart to Christ. I can't make you. But I want more for you. I want you to know what it means to be in the lives of the people around you and to have them say to you, you have been nothing but Jesus with skin on for me. And you did that and said that and loved me and served me at my greatest need. Friends in Christ, my hope and prayer is that you are prepared for the conversation that God wants to have through you with the people around you. Don't run away. Plant your chair. Get some lemonade. Build a porch. And invite your neighbors over. That they may see Jesus and truly live. Amen.